Welcome back to the Crunchy Take Podcast. My name is James Kittipole and joining me today all the way from five hours time difference uh, eastward, <laughs> I think, I have the yeah. privilege of having on Ben Talbot. Ben, how's it going, my brother? What's going on, man? Yeah, oh. it's going well, mate. Good, good to be here. This has Happy been, this has been a little bit in the making. You know, you've kind of uh, caught wind. I think the first time I caught wind of you on a podcast in particular was uh, the Thoughts and Prayers. We got to shout them out Thoughts first off. That's right. That's, yeah. I don't know when they're planning season two, but I'm, you know, I'm an avid listener of Hopefully any. Hopefully soon. Yeah, the the people want it. You know. Oh man, I, I wanted more than ever just to listen to. Yeah, that was a good thing. Honestly, they, we, you think about um, the stuff and content that came out of COVID, you know, a particularly hard period. Um, but, you know, the reason I wanted to have you on uh, for a number of different reasons is because you started your own podcast. Uh, you can That's find right, yeah. Part-time, part-time, part-time football. Part-time football. Ben, can you describe that a little bit, how, how you came to want to start it? Because uh, I knew that, you know, up until... Uh, it, it, I I don't know. It was you were asking me a bunch of questions, and you were like, you know what? I think I'm gonna do it. So like, what what finally prompted you to start doing mm-hmm. it? Yeah, so I I began it in August, so we're like three months in now. Part time football, and just a, a brief thirty second synopsis of what it is. It's all about football, uh, mm-hmm. primarily the English Premier League, but we're trying to branch out, and you know, football is such a global game. Uh, and there's so much to cover. So we are trying to, as best we can, sort of branch out bit by mm-hmm. bit. Um, but for like probably a year to 18 months now, I've been wanting to do a podcast for a while. I, I listen to podcasts a lot uh, at work. I really enjoy them. And it seems it seemed quite easy, you know, relatively. I'm a big fan of Joe Rogan and his style, just having conversation with guests and brings on yeah. interesting folks. And yeah, for a while I was like, man, I really want to do something, but I couldn't, I couldn't figure out what like theme to settle on, like what topic. And I thought the idea of having a little bit like what you are, just kind of open-ended. Like, I know you have different guests on, and you've had some episodes about movies, a lot about sports and stuff. Uh, I thought about that, but I thought, actually, that might be a bit ambitious for my first ever podcast. <laughs> might be too, the boundaries are too open, maybe, for me at least. So I had a couple of different ideas, and then just literally one day over the summer, I was thinking about it, and I love football. I follow football religiously, me and my brothers do. And so I thought, why don't I just do piled in quite narrow focus on just football and see, see where it goes. So we've been doing that for about three months now. Yeah. It's, and you know, congratulations on the three months, you know, it's, it's, uh, the, I don't know. It, for me, it's almost the same way. Like I was thinking, I, especially me wanting to be a journalist or of some kind, you know, wanting to pursue that kind of craft. Mm-hmm. It's like, I thought about it for a whole year, but at the same time, it's like, you know, having now having a little bit of experience under our belt, you now realize just how good some of these people are at doing it. You know, someone like Joe, who's been yeah. like, you go back all the way to, I don't know if you've ever seen the first one that he did with Brian Redband, but it was, <laughs> oh man, that one was rough. But you know, you look at his numbers, the, the yeah. reps that guy has, you know? Um, but you know, I think COVID also had a lot mm-hmm. to do with just us having to maybe reinvent how we see the world, how we kind of perceive different things. And uh, you know, I feel like a lot of podcasts pop. I, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just my circle of friends. But there are a lot of people that maybe wanted to try to do this. Just, you know, try to. 
yeah. echo their thoughts no, I, out in a I, different manner. I agree. Manner. I mean, it seems seems within my circle of friends it's the same thing. I've seen we we know a couple of ICS folks who are self included yeah. who have done podcasts. I know people from from my university days here here in England, and I think it's a combination of a people have lots more time in, in lockdown. Yeah, and also I think a lot of people's work is going remote, and so I think people are becoming a lot more comfortable with Zoom calls, team calls for work, and just having a microphone, having a camera being on your computer, it's a little less daunting mm-hmm. than, than it used to be maybe where you didn't do this very often. Yeah. So wait, let's let's maybe take it a step back a little bit, uh, maybe bring back the curtain a little bit. So a bit of context mm-hmm. to where, how we know each other. Because you, you know, you are from England, but and I am from Thailand, yet right. I am in America. You are, you're in England at the moment, but you somehow met me in Thailand. So a bit of context for people. Like how did you get to go to Thailand and then study in America and end up where you are now? It's kind of, you're, you're a globetrotter in, in every sense of the word, you know? Yeah, bounced, bounced around a little bit. So we, we met in, in Bangkok maybe 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, that probably figures about like going into high school, so maybe ten years ago or so. Yep. Uh, I'm yeah English and Swiss. Mum is Swiss, so I spent a little bit of time in Switzerland as a kid growing up in Neuchâtel, which is on the French right by the French border. Mm-hmm. But most of my childhood before like eight was in England in the south coast in uh, Devon. When I was eight, my parents moved. The whole family picked up and went to Sakheo, East Thailand, mm-hmm. uh, right on the border of Cambodia. Uh, there for five years. And then when I was 13, we moved to Bangkok because my parents uh, were missionaries, Christian missionaries. Right. So they moved to Bangkok for work. And I think that's probably around the time I met you. Like we moved to Bangma Villa and I was oh, homeschooled for a year. Sacred, before, yeah. sacred, sacred villa for a yeah. lot of people that don't understand rural kind of not. OK, not rural, but it is kind of it has a rural charm to it. You know, I'm, I'm pretty sure the area has flourished ever since. But yeah, Bangkok, rural kind of street-ish Bangkok. I think those, you know, the, when we talk about the sights and scenes of when we first met, because it was at, I think it was at a yeah. Friday fellowship. It was at a... Uh, probably, yeah, yeah. probably. Yeah, it's kind of like the, the suburbs of Thailand, isn't it? Somewhat, you know, because like Thai- Thailand has some weird... Yeah, Thailand has some weird uh, suburban architecture because it's not... They won't ever call it the suburbs, you know what I'm saying? It's kind of you get really high end neighborhoods, but then you also get neighborhoods like Bangna Villa that cater to a lot of different people, and then you get, you know, different, yeah, outskirts of the city kind of thing. But at the same time, it still feels like a city. It's weird. It's not like right. you know, you can go to right. Chicago. There is Chicago, and then just there's Chicago Land, there's Aurora, there's uh, Naperville, but they feel demographically and ergonomically very different from inner city Bangkok, whereas Bang Na feels exactly like Bangkok, maybe a little more chill, right. but still like Bangkok, you know? So how was that? You know, you go from, you said Devonshire, you, you, you go from England all the way to slap dab kind of, uh, middle of city Bangkok or outskirt city Bangkok. What's that yeah. like? What's that like to a young impressionable, um, <laughs> for lack of a better term, you know, young Ben, <laughs> young Ben Talbot. It's, I, I, people ask me that quite a lot, um, especially people in England who've never been to Thailand. So they have a little bit of like not very much frame of reference. Mm-hmm. But but for me, like it was a great place to grow up. And I've said that, like I've always said that I really enjoyed my the years of my youth 
uh, in Thailand, I think particularly in Bangkok, like I was quite a, in some ways, a reckless teenager, like many teenage boys are. And it was almost like a, a massive playground insofar as that it, weren't, it didn't feel like there were too many rules. And it yeah. was an exciting time. I mean, I didn't get up into too much trouble, but nothing outrageous, but just um, there was freedom. You know, I remember when I was the first year I was there or so, I was probably 14 or 15. And uh, I left church early one morning because I felt a bit sick. We were uh, at a hotel on, um, on Bangnatrad Road and I just took a bus. I just felt like going. I took, it was like a four hour bus ride. I went all the way oh to my National God. Stadium. <laughs> in like center, the other side of Bangkok on those old like seven bar, like rickety, like wooden floors, you know, rusting out buses. And I just spent like four hours just looking at the city and like and the, the heat and feeling it. This and, is because you felt yeah, sick? Young, well, I left church because I felt sick, but then right, okay. I just got a sense of adventure and I was like, nah, I want to see oh, where this goes. I wow. want to see where, where the, why I want to see where it ends. Um, you went all so the way like four, four hours, hours to National Stadium. You just saw people after yeah, well, people get off. Yeah, was there and two hours back. And yeah. so for people that Massive don't know a Thai bus, what's that like? You know, for, you know, for people that don't know what's that, you know, the, they, they come to Thailand and they see, they come to Bangkok in particular, either Bangkok or Chiang Mai, they see these buses mm -hmm. or like kind of vans, Songtao bands or whatnot. Maybe not a Songtao, but you see people just crowd on them to the point where the right. bus is kind of right. tipping over or whatnot. Was that the kind of yeah, bus yeah, you were yeah. on? <laughs> Man. Yeah, yeah. It was, the, it was the seven bar bus where it's got, uh, wooden floorboards and there's gaps in the floorboards so you oh. can look down you can see the road you can see, you can see the see road the yeah you can see the axle you can see the axle spinning um mm -hmm. you know the windows are open people the doors are open so people are, like hopping on off and on as it's like almost like pulling away slowly like you gotta get off it's pretty yeah, fun at a certain time honest. yeah you gotta be get off get off quick so just little things like that i just had mm -hmm. freedom that maybe you wouldn't you wouldn't experience in the west uh you know i think and large societies are more safety conscious in the West, particularly over children, which is probably a good thing. Uh, but yeah. in Thailand, yeah, I felt a lot of freedom. So it was yeah. a good place to grow up. Yeah. Well, because the, the kind of culture that you experienced wasn't only that of, because I'm pretty sure you got your Thai fix, you know, but you also went to an international school. So you had, it was this very weird thing where, you know, you would, your surroundings, it was, I, I hate, I hate to almost say it, but it's like you kind of, we kind of experienced our education in a bubble, you know, and now looking back, it's like, man, there were a lot of things that that bubble shielded us from, you know, just diff different um, things that were going on in the city and outside the city. Because, you know, you take into context what's happening with Bangkok right now. You take what's happening with Thailand right now. Right. The same thing was happening 10 years ago, roughly around the time you came. How wild mm -hmm. is that? And the 10 years later now, yep. now without getting too far into it like this is i've never seen what's coming out of thailand right now i've never at any point in history seen yeah like same. what what's going on what do you, what's your take on that man like do you like do you have any thoughts on, on what's what what all that is about yeah i mean i, I definitely want to hear your take as well after i give mine as, as sure. a thai citizen i think yours will carry a little bit more weight i don't um, know about that but no, you're, but... you're absolutely right i remember i think 20 there's been several uh, military coups, and I think there's one in 2014, and I think 2010 was the 20, one I remember. 2010 was the big I one. Think, I think that was the big one, and so I moved into Bangkok 2007, so I felt a little bit more at home. Right. By 2010, I'd been there a couple of years, mm -hmm. and I mean, I remember seeing tanks in the streets. I remember yes. uh, like seeing military helicopters flying overhead. Um, 
I remember like watching CNN in our living room and they were showing live scenes of Bangkok and the buildings were on fire and mm -hmm. the protesters were like throwing, um, throwing things at the riot police. And for me, it was crazy seeing an American TV network, CNN, broadcasting Bangkok because I felt like that's me. Like I know that street. That's, this is my yeah. home. That's what it felt like. And so that was a pretty transformative moment for me. I think realizing that what, what we were seeing, I wasn't involved at all in, in it, of course. I was a spectator. Yeah. Even as a spectator, just seeing it unfold among buildings and streets that I knew was, was pretty profound. Mm -hmm. And then, I mean, you're absolutely right. I've been seeing uh, just from afar, of course, I'm in Europe now, but seeing on Instagram and on Facebook some of my Thai friends posting and, of what's going on right now and, and videos of the protests. And it's really, it's really shocking because in all the time I was, I was living there, and probably the same for you, every protest was carefully and explicitly anti-government rather than anti-monarchy. Mm -hmm. And no one would ever criticize the monarchy uh, in Thailand. I mean, there's deep cultural taboos. Uh, it goes back. It's a very, very different culture and mm -hmm. understanding of authority than you would find in the West. And so the fact that now people are protesting they're quite explicit about protesting the monarchy and the government for me is like shocking. I, I want to be careful what I say, because I don't know a whole lot about it. I'm very removed from it. Sure. But, but as a basic principle, I am an advocate. I would call myself an advocate for democracy, whatever the hell that means. And I think when you see particularly young people rising up and in organization and mobilizing and protesting authority, that's usually it's a good thing, and I'll almost always be on the side of that. So on that principle, I, I applaud what they're doing. But I also want to be careful because I don't – it's not really my um, – Yeah, no, I understand. So I'd be really interested to hear, to hear like what, yeah. what your thoughts are on, on the current, current protests and the current movement. Right. Well, I think you'd be surprised because me, it's, it's been almost the same thing. You know, for, for the majority of my adult lifehood, I've been in the United States. So my world has completely shifted out. Everything I hear from home is either through my parents, through friends or through, you know, the random news articles that would come up occasionally, you know. So within the past seven years, it's, it's been um, pretty quiet, if I'm being honest, from a global kind of news perspective. And I think you, you kind of touched on it. It's weird seeing, you know, Thailand or Bangkok on the news. It's weird seeing American publications or British broadcasting systems, you know, broadcasting it. Um, mm -hmm. But now in hindsight, it's not really that weird anymore for me because Bangkok is a pretty global city. It's a pretty right. impactful, you, right. you, you consider the, the geography of the city and the geography of Thailand in particular. It's almost how, it, how I would describe it to people. It's like the Venice almost of Asia. The trades, you know, if we consider the history of trades that have gone into that country, which is why the food is the way it is, you know, to, and you, you, you can probably touch <laughs> on this. Like, food. Yeah, it's food that is so it's not only good, but it's so diverse. The, I, you know, the people that eat Thai food outside the country, they really don't know. And for me, I'm not a stickler for food. Obviously, you know, if I go to a Thai restaurant here, I'm not looking for 100 percent authenticity. I'm just looking for it to be good. I consider Panda Express to be good. I'm, I'm cheap. Yep. Good food is good food to me, you know, but Thailand, <laughs> it's food, I think is a, is almost a perfect symbol of the kind of cultural um, diversity that it has. And when I say diversity, I don't really mean, um, you know, like this country, that country. I mean, literally the way in which people conduct themselves and the way, um, you know, just, I don't know, culture is kind of hard to describe, but it's, 
mm-hmm. traditions or whatnot, all kind of melded into one. So you can in Thailand, you can go from you know the whole world kind of knows Pad Thai, right? And but man, like that's just that's such a tip of the iceberg thing because we're gonna talk about Pad Thai. You got like eight different sub variations of it when you come when you go right, to Thailand, right. you know, and you you can go all the way from that to like Middle Eastern kind of food, almost Indian kind of food. And then you consider the fact that mm-hmm. Thailand about a thousand to seven hundred years ago before the established monarchy was founded on a nation of hunter gatherers, you know? So yeah, like now taking all that into account, you look at Thailand as a nation and the fact that where it is, it's not that surprising that it gets the news coverage that it is now the protests, right? Now I always view it is, um, these protests are a result of a country that has had turmoil. That's had turmoil with itself for, well over 60, 70, 80 years, you know, whenever people will talk to me about, you know, ask me about, you know, cause Thai youth were required to do military school, right? I right. had to shave my head and it's probably the reason I, ha- I still have my head shaved today is cause I got comfortable with it. It's very convenient, very easy, but in high school, I hated it. Um, and, um, people ask me about it all the time, you know, oh, what was it like? You know, well, and I tell them it's one, it was involuntary. It was, it was, it was mandatory, uh, as are a lot of Asian countries are. But the difference being, these other countries, um, when you enter the military and when you, when you enter their service, it's with the intent to protect the country. You know, so Singapore, Korea, uh, China definitely doesn't have one. Uh, yeah, so those two countries come to mind or whatnot. You are a member of the military to protect the country from outside forces. Whereas Thailand, it's not as explicit, but... The, it's military, it really isn't designed um, to defend from outside forces. Because, Lord behold, like, fingers crossed, right now, if, if a nation, if any nation were to attack Thailand, I, don't, I think we'd lose just internally from within. What Thailand's military is really uh, made for is to govern and police its own people. That is that's, the crux that's what of I was the military. Ask. Do, you, do you see it as an extension of the police state? It, it felt like as of current time. as of current right now yes and for a while i i guess when we were growing up as as a kid you know it wasn't maybe as explicit but um yeah i, I think it's important to discuss the military and i promise guys we'll get to sports i promise i promise <laughs> um, please please don't tune away you know please oh man we, we've gone 18 minutes here but no just to kind of give context to what's going on back home because i feel it's important i don't ever get to talk yep. about uh, this with people that often hear, let alone online, because, you know, people are, you know, they're kind of scared of what they want to talk about. And I think right. it's well within our right and reasonable, you know, we're, we're discussing it objectively. I'm not at this point, if we're talking about taking sides, I would always err on the side of caution when it comes to crowds, because, you know, I've I've been obviously taking everything in America to account. Right. Especially this past week. Right. This past year almost can be used as a petri dish for what's going on economically, culturally, politically in the country and around the world. I've been mm-hmm. reading this book called Socially. The Madness. Yeah. The Madness of Crowds. And it's been by Douglas Murray, who uh who was on the Rogan podcast. And this is a guy who is homosexual, but he yep. kind of goes against the grain as mob mentality goes. And if you know anything about mob mentality, that at its peak at its crux is what Thailand unofficially runs on mob mentality. But this whole time for me, I've been looking at the protests. Like 
at first I thought it was, um, you know, talking to my parents at first, what I perceived it to be was this, uh, thing where the younger generation just wanted to out the new, the new government. Like it's, it's the same thing over and over. It's the same. I thought, you know, about three or four months ago, I thought it was the same story that we had 10 years ago. Fingers crossed. I just hope it doesn't get as bloody. And so far it hasn't as far as I've heard. Right. If you, I haven't seen right. like blood, I haven't seen major bloodshed like I did 10 years ago. Partly because 10 years ago, I think it was a little more apolitical. It was a little more actually personal for people because you had, it was basically red shirt versus blue, uh, yellow shirt, if you remember that. Yellow, you know, yeah. Whole, yeah, so yeah. people had a bit more economic stake in it, whereas this time it seems to be more of a social, like actual social upheaval, kind of like when the reform bill in, mm. in England in you know the early, we're talking about the breaking of the aristocracy early in the 20th century. Right. That that was kind of what we're I that's kind of what's happening now, as opposed to 10 years ago. It was a real kind of political like battle, which is why a lot of people died right. 10 years ago. Right. You know, um, as far as what I, I think, I think at the moment there's been a yeah. number of arrests. Sorry to interrupt you. I think no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. A number of arrests made, uh, but I haven't seen the level of like conflict and violence that we saw 10 years ago. Correct. Yeah. Correct. But it's it's kind of to that point where, man, I don't know if I don't know how much more. Um, it it definitely is more peaceful, wouldn't you say? Like it's, I've never seen it be this peaceful, but yet have the subject matter be so kind of to the heart. The subject matter being they're they're, they're protesting, they're openly protesting the monarchy. I have never seen that, you know, as and. Right. To maybe yeah, it's, it's point it shocking. out for people, yeah, to, to maybe give people a little more context. Thailand operates on Le Majest laws, or I don't know if I pronounced that right, Majest laws, which basically stipulates that you can't, you can't criticize, you can't criticize or openly talk about anything bad as it pertains to the monarchy or the monarchy family, you know? And furthermore, right. Thailand just, you know, for the last 70, 60 years, we've been under the reign of the Ninth King who people who people really loved you know it wasn't this was the longest reigning monarch apart from uh queen elizabeth and it, it was you know it was the situation where yep. whoa like uh it was a kind of so in effect i think we can surmise that a lot of things were masked under his reign you know there was a lot of things that maybe we didn't pull the curtain back on just because you know the guy was a relatively speaking a good figurehead you know but what's happened now because of um because of the change in hands and maybe the personality associated with the new monarchy and this year in particular i, mm -hmm. I feel like again we're talking about protests right i mean this year has been one of the more difficult years i think in in the last hundred years in terms of like political upheaval and whatnot as, as far as thailand goes and i think the world goes as well Oh, okay you know but okay. like because there's, oh, there's, yeah. I think there's arguments to be made as as to whether this protest would have happened if COVID wasn't happening. You know, I, I feel like there's a lot of there's a lot of gray area that I'm not fully prepared to comment on at the moment. But it's just like, yeah, I, it's gonna take a lot of wrestling with to try to get to the bottom of like, you know, what what are these people that are protesting? What do they really, really want? You know, because there's. I'm I'm sorry I'm going out on a rant, but I'll, I'll end it at this. Like there's That's the right. expectations, there's the expectations of what they're trying to protest, and then there's the reality of the situation of what they're trying to protest. In Bangkok, let me tell you, Thailand operates on a very different plane 
than America. Because, you know, we've seen memes, we've seen, you know, the culture and internet respond to the dissent of opinions in America. But the beautiful thing about it is dissent is allowed in America. It's allowed and it's openly encouraged. Now, maybe to a huge extensive degree, you know, whatever varying degree that is, dissent is still allowed. You know, you can still have that conversation. Whereas Thailand, like I can't talk. I really, I hope, you know, people listening back home don't take this to heart, but I, this is something I don't really want to talk. I can't really talk to my parents about. I can't talk to anybody openly about it back home, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, I hate, hate to interrupt. I'm just going to change my lights because I'm getting a lot of blue light. Yeah, that's fine. From my screen. I'm just going to, going to put a, lap, a lamp on quickly. <laughs> that's fine. Um, it's all like, yeah, as far for people that are listening, the reason I am wanting to, uh, wanting to talk to Ben about this particular subject isn't really so much to get too into the political vein. It's just cause this guy is a guy I grew up with, you know, from back home. And, uh, it's been a while since I really had interest an introspective talk from anybody who grew up with me. So, um, yeah, it, it's. It's an ugly situation that's happening uh, back home. It's not something that I want to particularly admit time to, but it is something that I want to touch on and hopefully get other people to talk about from uh, different places in the world. And um, I am trying to get a journalist from back home on for a little mini podcast segment. Uh, She's a writer for a certain news publication that I hopefully want to get on. Um, So that'll be interesting to hear... Uh, perspective from uh, this journalist that I'm trying to get to. It seems like Ben has a better light situation now. Oh, yeah. Let me see more of that pretty yeah, sorry, face. Sorry oh, beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Oh, beautiful. Even more. The sun's been setting behind me or in front yeah. of me. So the, the blue light oh, from the laptop. That's is so weird because but... I've, I've never interviewed anybody or I've never talked really Skyped or had a phone conversation with anybody from England. So the time difference is a little bit jarring. You, you text me the other day, like, Hey, midnight may be a little too much. I'm like, ah, oh, man. Cause that's right when I get off work and it's like a five, five hours is right. honestly a little more awkward than the 12 hours that I'm used to converting from my parents, you know? Right. Um, yeah. but yeah, that's, uh, yeah, I think the same thing. Cause 12 hours is quite easy. Cause you can do morning and night. Correct. And it's, it can be quite an easy one, but yeah, five or six can be a little bit awkward. So now I'm I'm getting to peer into the what it's been like for you to talk to your significant other. This is you, she, you know, stateside or whatnot. Yeah, this is <laughs> this is probably what it's like, right? You yeah. gotta get up. Either you're getting up Gugat's whatever time at night and she's staying up or whatnot. Yeah. So much respect to an yeah. overseas long term relationship. Um two two and a half years, yeah. Woo! And yeah. this guy's getting married. Too, too long. Too long. Too long. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, what we were talking about earlier, just to maybe kind of put a cap and on what's going on back home, it, you know, kind of taking it back to what it was like growing up there. Uh, Thailand, to maybe segue into sports a little bit. Thailand was very. Did you find it? Did you find it odd at all? How obsessed Thailand is, or maybe just Bangkok is with soccer, despite not being very good at it. No, no, not at all. <laughs> I think, I mean, football is the football is the global sport. Yes, and it's, I mean, it's by it's far and away the the world's most popular sport, uh, both by number of fans, number of players, but also mm-hmm. the geographical diversity. Yes. Literally every country in the world 
has some sort of professional league and kids in every corner of the world, every favela, every neighborhood, every street corner, every mud patch, uh, they're mm -hmm. playing football. Um, every class, every color, it's, it's remarkable how global uh, the sport is. Quite unbelievable in, in some ways. Mm -hmm. So it's not surprising at all that Thailand, the kids there and people there play it and you'll see people wearing a Messi shirt all the time or a yeah. Ronaldo shirt or something around the markets. That's very normal. Strange sometimes, I think, how some countries like Thailand, but also like even bigger ones like China and India, yeah, aren't very good at football. Like on on the on the nationals, like the global scale, mm -hmm. uh, the national teams just don't do much at all. Which is weird because it's, they're very very popular sports in those countries as well, and you have such a massive population, you'd expect them to find eleven players to 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 get on the field. Um. So I've thought about that quite a bit. Why why isn't China like killing it at the World Cup? Why isn't India killing it at the World Cup? Mm -hmm. There's probably a number of reasons, most to do with the funding and, and the money involved. But Really? So you, 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 uh, yeah. you say it's money and funding because I talked to, um, you know, I talked to Tent earlier uh, earlier in the year, uh, Breedy and whatnot, and he, he kind of stipulated that it has a lot to do with coaching and development and the way these different countries develop their players and athletes in general. Because Thailand has a very, I don't, I don't even know how to put it into words, but Thailand has a, I, I feel like by and large, Thailand has a very dismissive way of uh, raising and kind of cultivating athletes because it's not viewed, because in the West, typically it can be viewed if you have the ability, right? It can be viewed as a way to make a living, but in Asian countries, uh, for better and mo and for wor or for worse, it's not typically viewed. It's it's viewed lower on the social hierarchy, for me. Um, which is why you don't have universities typically offering academics or sports scholarships. And if they do, it's not like a highlight. It doesn't fully cover their education and whatnot. So what what do you think are some of the differences? And what do you think? Um, yeah, are some of the differences as to how countries develop athletes? Yeah. Well, actually, I listened to that podcast with you did with uh, Tent. That was really sure. I really enjoyed that one. That was that was good to listen to. Um, when when I speak about money, I guess I'm talking about the infrastructure in place. Sure. So the investment made, you know, from the from the grassroots level, from the bottom mm -hmm. all the way to the top. In take, for example, how much money is there in the Thai Premier League in terms of uh, the league and also the teams? How much money are they making? What's their revenue? That right. they can put back into their academies, into their training programs. Uh, there's not a whole lot. Mm -hmm. And feeding all the way down to the youth level, we have kids coming up. There are football academies in and sports academies in Thailand, but in terms of just the level of investment made compared to other countries, uh, it's 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 far and far and away below what you would see in maybe South America or Europe or even other like more wealthy Southeast Asian countries. Mm -hmm. for instance so uh, yeah I'm, I'm not sure i think it would take a lot take a lot of investment to bring thai football up to the standard that you might see other parts of the world but that doesn't seem to stop people being like following passionate it being about fans it no and also yeah playing it. you know lots of kids a lot of kids play it a lot of adults uh, follow the premier league and follow the la liga and barcelona real madrid they follow the big teams mm -hmm. um, which is quite typical across across the world even even countries where the local teams aren't a high standard particularly right. or the national team i should say uh 
people still are football crazy, which is that's yeah, pretty great. Yeah. So you know, football crazy. When we talk about football crazy, it's it's really this mania that I can't really describe. Other than if you're a sports fan, then you understand. You know, if you're a sports fan of anything in particular, you understand that kind of almost reality TV show kind of dedication you have. <laughs> you know, watching or following different storylines. Sure. With soccer, with with football, where do you even start for for someone who's an uh, who's an outsider and myself included, right? And we're talking about the major U.S. populace. Okay, there is MOS, and the United States is. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we're talking about women's soccer, that's also a huge thing in America. You know, like um, how I mean, how good they are and how dominant they are. But if we're talking about football, to an outsider, it's it's tough. Slash real confusing to know where to even begin, because if I were to ask you, hey, Ben, you know where I man, I basketball, it's an interesting sport. You know, where do I where do I start? What do you tell them? You tell them the NBA or hey, man, I really want to I really want to start watching some some good quality uh, fighting or mixed martial arts. Where can you tell them? Oh, you got two leagues. You got Bellator. You got UFC. You got one championship. You got K1. Um I just named off four right there, but you know, UFC, that's like the big name, but we're, <laughs> yeah, but we're yeah, like, no, whereas with mean. football, it's like question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark, because there are so many good leagues and there's not like one uniting, there is UEFA, yeah. there's World Cup, but like they all kind of mean different things. So if you were to tell me right, right now, right. where do I start as a football, as a football wannabe, the kind of investigator almost? Yeah. Well, I'll just uh, I'll just touch on the first point about how if you want to follow basketball, go to the NBA. Mm-hmm. And I think for football, beauty and what makes it so great is the fact that we have an overwhelming amount of football leagues and football teams across the right. world, and good ones too. It's mm-hmm. it's astonishing how many there are, and that's really that's what makes I think the sport so so great. Where you would start, I think uh, Tent said the same thing. He said start with Barcelona. I think start with the best team, mm-hmm. probably either Barcelona, uh, watch Manchester City, watch Liverpool, or watch Bayern Munich. You know, the, the top like three or four or five teams who are really, really good and playing, I would say, almost a pure football. Playing football at the, almost the highest level, technically, mm-hmm. player for player, as well as as a team. And I mean, football is just a joy to watch. It's, it's an art form. It really is. And it's so, when you watch good players and good teams play, and it's just absolutely a joy to watch. And I think people would fall, people do fall in love all the time with the sport. So as an outsider to you or to your listeners, people who aren't, uh, you know, very familiar with football, mm-hmm. follow, watch Bayern Munich, watch uh, Liverpool, watch Manchester City or Barcelona, mm-hmm. and see if it grabs you. It probably will, but just just watch. So I you think, said, and, 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 go ahead. Sorry, I'll just say another. Um, Another selling point, perhaps, about football is it's pretty intuitive. It's it's pretty easy. It's a little bit like basketball. You sure. know, you, you put it on. Everyone's seen it. You see, mm-hmm. okay, they've got the red team over here, got the blue team here. They're trying to kick it in that goal, and they're trying to kick it in the other goal. And mm-hmm. that's pretty much it. So as a as a new person watching it, it's pretty intuitive to to pick up what they're trying to do. Obviously, as you get more, it gets a bit more complicated as you dig into it. Right. It's not like American football where you have like the downs and you have the different things going on or baseball where you, yeah. it's just, there's all different rules being thrown in football 
for a large part, it's it's pretty easy to to follow. Yeah. So you you said something about pure football, okay? Because yeah, it almost described it almost sounded like you were talking about the standard to which the game is set. And the reason I said the NBA earlier is because I'll point it out like this. You know, if you go to a high school game, that's a game of basketball. It can be a pretty good game of basketball. You know, if you go to a college game, oh, that's a really good game of basketball. You know, D1. But man, if you go to an NBA game, there's something different. It is the game of basketball. What those guys are doing kind of sets the tone for what every kid wants to mimic Mm -hmm. and what every, you know, it's the standard. It's basically that, you know, when Steph became Steph Curry, you know, established himself as the best shooter in the world. Guess what kids started to do? They started to warm up at the three-point line, which would really get on my nerves because I'm kind of, you know, as a coach, sometimes you're trying to get kids to work on, work right. on their form up close. So you, you say pure football. What do you mean by that? Like, what, what, what makes pure football what it is? Like, mechanical-wise and then, like, maybe viewing-wise as well? There's, there is no right answer. Mm-hmm. There is football is played different ways in different parts of the world. And partly that's because football has been played in most areas for over a hundred years. Mm-hmm. And so you have almost organic evolutions. Uh, football began, began in England in the 1850s, but at the 1870s, Argentina had their own league and they were beginning and it spread to South America. And so mm-hmm. you had football evolving and developing in Europe in the early 1900s. In Eastern Europe and Hungary, they were one of the best teams in the world for a while. Uh, in in Western Europe, and then mm-hmm. you almost had almost the same sport, but a whole different branch, if you will, was evolving and developing in Brazil, in Uruguay, in Argentina, in the early to mid 1900s. And right. so, so your question about what is pure football, it's not as easy or as simple as the NBA, where you have oh we got playoffs, we got Lakers, and we got um, maybe the well, not the Bucks right now, but you have when LeBron was on the Heat like. Like there with the East, and you have it's not quite as simple as that because you have in football teams are playing very, very different ways, right. and they've almost developed different ident- identities. I think people in the modern era recognize uh, Pep Guardiola. He's currently coaching Manchester City. Yes. Before that, he was at Bayern Munich, one of the top ones, and before that, where he really got his golden medals was at uh, Barcelona. Right. And Barcelona of the sort of late 2000s to early 2010s, like 2009 to 2012, 2013 sort of time period, that half decade, mm-hmm. uh, they were probably the best team, probably the world's ever seen, that Barcelona team. Really? And they Barcelona play, team of what year? Oh, what yeah. year? Uh, probably 2009 to 2011 would be the most specific time period. Okay. But you could, you could widen the envelope a few years on either side. So that, that half decade mm-hmm. at the turn of the 2010s, I mean, they won everything they could possibly win, and they played just beautiful, attractive, attacking football. Uh, they called it tikataka, take the ball, pass the ball. It was just passing possession-based football in, mm. in triangles. And they would just make movements that you couldn't really believe they were doing, and they would pass the ball in triangles and always be moving. And I mean, they had, some, they had, they had Lionel Messi, they had Xavi, they had Iniesta, some of the best passes in the, in the history of the sport. So you could take that, and you could say that is the purest form of football. Mm-hmm. Then you can also look at AC Milan in the 1980s. You can look at Ajax uh, in the 70s um, under Johan Cruyff. You can look at uh, Man United in the late 90s, Arsenal. I mean, these are just tremendous teams who are top, top of the world. And if you're talking about the best teams ever, they would all be in the conversation. 
but they all had very different styles, different mm -hmm. identities, different ways of winning. And so there really isn't one purest form of football. And for me, that's, that's what makes it so intriguing as a follower and as an observer. I love like reading about the history of the game because it's just so, it's so rich. There's so much substance there. There's so much to read about and, and dig into. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I love it. I love it. Yeah, that's the beauty of sports. It's the fact that it's such a, well, something like soccer, it's an old school thing, but it's, it's still constantly kind of evolving, right? It's the same thing with basketball or right. what, what we might get to in a little bit MMA, whereas you have... You know, basketball, there, when, there is no pure form of basketball as well because some people prefer the rich, gritty kind of 90s style, really aggressive uh, mm -hmm. defense almost. You know, some people prefer um, hero ball. Some people prefer team ball like the Spurs. You know, some people despise, despise a player like LeBron James simply because he can do anything he wants at any given time. There's nothing you can do about it by and large. You know, so but with soccer, yeah, what 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 mm -hmm. with, with football, what are what are the what are the different camps? You know, because with basketball, and I'm using basketball as, as a kind of catalyst comparison because maybe it's the easiest or oh, hoop and a goal. You know, ergonomically, it's both similar and very right. different at the same time. So with basketball, you have different camps of what people like. What what are the different camps that uh, people like in soccer in football? Like shooting heavy or passing right. heavy or solo heavy? Is it the same thing or? Uh, they have, there's quite a few different camps. I think the biggest ones, and a lot of uh, countries will have almost like a national identity, mm -hmm. and part of that is because a lot of a lot of the big countries or the strong countries, footballing nations, have very robust and developed domestic leagues, right. as well as their national team. A lot of the the big footballing powerhouses have a national team. Where they always have coaches. Italy will always have an Italian coach. Argentina mm -hmm. will always have an Argentinian national coach, and they kind of keep that sense of grounded tradition continuity well. and right. yeah, yeah, tradition, national identity. This is the way we play. Mm -hmm. uh, but some some of the big ones to answer your question, I think you you look at England, and right. we're known, we have been known since the 1940s, really, coming home, footballing wise, as as foot, big, physical, strong, fast paced football. Mm. People talk about the Premier League. Uh, a little bit arrogantly sometimes, but they talk about the Premier League as being the most physical league in the world, most dominant league in the world, where punching tackles, if you're not strong enough, you're not going to survive. Uh, so maybe like kind of like 90s basketball, like physical, hard, that kind of style. Sure. Then on the continent, in Europe, particularly like in Spain, for example, there's a lot more, there's a emphasis on elegance and finesse. And so they play a lot of possession-based football where it's about, about being a bit more intelligent and not about physical strength. I mean, the, the Barcelona team I mentioned and mm -hmm. the, the three players I mentioned, Messi, uh, Messi, Iniesta, and Xavi, they're all like five foot seven, five foot eight or something. I mean, they're all slim, small figures, mm -hmm. but they're magicians. They're magicians with the ball. And then you look at, I won't go through all of them, but you look at Italy, for example. Italy are renowned to be much more tactical, much more organized. They're mm -hmm. always a very, very strong defensive team. And yeah, the, I, I suppose the national values of being, yeah, being organized and set up correctly and tactically sound, tactically com complex makes Italian teams very hard to break down, mm -hmm. maybe a little bit boring at times. So you have, you have all different camps. Yeah. Right. And then, <sighs> then in South America, particularly in Brazil and Argentina, there's a big emphasis on flair and on creativity 
and they they develop players like Neymar, for instance, who's Brazilian's top player right now, probably, and a lot more about dribbling and beating the man and having a bit of flourish with it, a bit more style, a bit more swagger. So yeah, there's all different ways that countries have developed and and emphasize football. Yeah, with with football, I've always kind of that was honestly the first organized sport that I got into. You know, it's I I feel like for a lot of people that's that's kind of their gateway. You know, basketball, football, but football because I I think my history with it for me is I've never really been able to keep up. The reason I'm not into it as my peers are and my peers were in in you know whether in primary school or um afterwards is because i i always struggled i think in thailand to follow what was going on in that world i think in fifth grade i was an arsenal fan you know i was newcastle arsenal um whatnot but then after and then Mm -hmm. from childhood i think my favorite player ever would be ronaldinho uh just the way that oh man that guy as a non-football fan now just seeing that i wish like and the closest thing that i can get to it and I, i don't think they're even close ergonomic um athletic wise figures right now i think my favorite player football wise would probably be Kylian mbappe just because okay man th- th- seeing that guy move at the at the He's world quick. cup it, it kind of convinced me like whoa like it, it kind of reignited that oh interest factor because for a long time it was i was mm-hmm. occupied with basketball only you know but now like seeing how how the game has kind of ev- evolved to a point where you know at people are getting more athletic um people are getting quicker and that kid can whiz man that world cup mm-hmm. several world cup figures where he scored like goal after goal after goal i was like how can a guy be that yeah. good at that young of an age you know so explosive yeah so explosive Ooh, so man quick. yeah so what are other players like Fantastic. um he kind of reminds me of a uh, russell westbrook in 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 america mm-hmm. if only if russell westbrook was maybe a little more humble and a little more gifted at what he did (laughs) um um but you know but yeah mbappe that's probably my favorite player right now but speaking of players though what are some of the most key if we look at the history of football what are some of the most key figures that kind of changed the game and catapulted it to what it is today and i know there is no right or wrong answer here because you're talking about the world influence you just you just kind of brought up a right, good point right. of, you know like man the standards of games uh different countries diff- bring different aspects to it so like what if you could if you right. had to point out five i know you can point out 10 or 30 right right off the top of your head but um <laughs> if you had to narrow sure. it down to like maybe a, a couple that people should know about when they talk about football who would they be sure uh well the first one i'll talk about i don't think he gets i think he's underrated Mm-hmm. Uh, in the world outside of football. So I think every football fan will know this man's name, but I think the people outside fo- the footballing world might be less familiar. Uh, Johan Cruyff. Okay. He played for, played for, he's Dutch. He played for Ajax, which is the, the, the biggest Dutch team mm-hmm. uh, in Holland. And he played for most of his career, lots of his career in Barcelona. And I think a lot of non-footballing folks would be familiar with Messi and Ronaldo right now. They'd yes. be, they've heard the names of Pele and Maradona you know, going back to yesteryear. They would be familiar with those names. And Johan Cruyff, he, he changed the game as many, many different players have. He's not unique in that aspect. But he pioneered what's called total football. He pioneered mm. that at Ajax, actually. And this idea of total football is he, he revolutionized how they played mm-hmm. in... Effectively, he made he made football 
more attractive and more fun to watch and more the hmm. the beauty of the game the elegance of the game was emphasized under his uh, sort of leadership and hmm. so when he was a player he pioneered that and then he he became a coach after he um after he retired he he coached at barcelona and he he did the same thing there but total football i'll just say quickly the specific thing that he changed among many things was this idea of uh mobility and positions mm. so four players would typically have one if you're the right winger you're the right winger and you're you the right winger down the right, right. wing mm -hmm. if you're center attacking mid you sit in the middle of the park and you, you know, play, play balls people had positions that were sort of scripted right and i wouldn't say set in stone because football is always moving but if you watch highlights of Ajax back back in back in the seventies and mm -hmm. the Dutch national team as well, because he played for the Dutch national team, he was their captain, and you'd literally have almost like a roaming players where in the middle of an attack, the left winger would move to the right wing, the centre attacking mid would move up top to where the forward would be, and they would just be almost like a merry-go-round, and they're passing the ball and they're rotating, and the defending team would have no idea like what the mm -hmm. hell to do about it because. You're you're expecting to mark mark that man, and you're you're tasked to mark him, and you have your whole game plan to mark this this chap, and then they're just moving things around, mm -hmm. and it was really really attractive as a neutral, as a fan to watch, really fun to watch. They were also really good as well, which helps. And he led uh, the Netherlands to the World Cup final. They lost, unfortunately, I think they lost to Germany, uh, but I'm not entirely sure. That'd be 1974. I'd have to double check. But I believe they lost to Germany. Mm -hmm. um, so he didn't he didn't get his World Cup winners medal, but he he transformed uh the way where they played. And Pep Guardiola, the the manager for Man City as well as Barcelona, who I mentioned a while ago, mm -hmm. he's regarded as probably one of the best managers in world football right now and, and probably one of the top ever. And he was tutored by Johan Cruyff. And he a lot of his footballing genius, I would say, he mm -hmm. actually attributes back to Johan Cruyff and what he learned under him. So yeah, one maybe underrated player who transformed the game in, in some way would be be him, I'd say. It's it sounds kind of like you're describing um I I, I it sounds kinda of like you're describing the Magic Johnson slash Larry Bird of the football world as far as position you talk about positionless, right? Or the kind of mm -hmm. breaking off the tradition of positions, because that's almost that's pretty much the question I was going to ask you next. So, you know, soccer is, uh, football is a very kind of position-heavy sport. If you're a striker, you're a striker. You know, if you're a defender, you're a defender. But it sounds kind of like you're saying that this guy, LaCroix, if he was able to um, break away from that a little bit and make players play multiple dimensions of the ball, is that accurate in saying? Mm -hmm. Or is it, is it kind of... Yeah. Yeah. He he wasn't the only person to do to do this, mm -hmm. but I will say he pioneered in a brand new way. So he's probably the most uh, recognizable right. figure for that. Yeah, yeah. So when you say you know position, so would you say to this day, modern the modern game as it is, are positions still like huge? Do or do or are we now seeing uh, players that can play multiple positions and be good at both? Um, is that is that uh, slowly evolving into a different thing, or is it still kind of you know? Oh, you know, he's that guy. Because reason I ask because strikers and midfielders, I guess they they get a lot of shine, you know. But I never really mm -hmm. hear about defenders. I never really I, the only goalie I know about is Tim Howard, you know, or 
you know, that or <laughs> or a goalie that I was so impressed you, you with. You American, you yeah. The the goalie I was really impressed with was the South Korean goalie uh, for the World Cup in 2016, 17. Um, World Cup? Eight, two, World Cup in 18, I think. I'm sorry. 18. 18, yeah. That was yeah. The World Cup, yeah. Man, that South Korean goalie was fantastic. But, you know, there are these players, in, like in basketball, where they just, they just don't get as much shine uh, because they don't yeah. typically play the most, you know, pretty position so what are what are some of those un, more underrated players you know the the more defensive heavy football players or not sure so i mean it's interesting you say that because i think historically defenders have been overlooked which is probably the case in most sports mm-hmm. people like the players who score goals or points or touchdowns but they win championships these the defenders linemen, they win championships yeah, the, the, the offensive lineman protecting tom brady while tom brady's throwing touchdown passes doesn't get much uh, you know, love, exactly. even though they're just in some ways just as integral. Um, same is true for most sports. But it's interesting. So in football, the tactics and the positions are always evolving, mm. always evolving over time. I mean, for 50 years in the early 1900s to like 1960, 50 years, teams would all play with six forwards, like six strikers. Mm-hmm. You'd never see that in the world now, but that was the norm. And of course, things change. So right now, probably for the past like four or five years, we're actually seeing a transition where the fullbacks, which are the two uh, wide defenders. Mm-hmm. So traditionally you have uh, four defenders. So you'll have two center backs in the middle and you'll have two, like a left and a, a right fullback. And the past few years, especially the past two or three years, mm-hmm. they've been pushing up a lot more and they've been given a lot more uh, creative duties and offensive duties. And so actually to your point now, I think in the Premier League last year, Trent Alexander-Arnold, who's uh, the right back for Liverpool. He's one of the most exciting right backs in the world right now. Mm-hmm. One, of, one of a few. He had the second most assists in the Premier League last year. Assist is giving it before the goal. Sure. And so he was, by, the, by that measure, he was the second most creative player uh, in the league last year. And he's a defender. And because that's because the game wow. was evolving, where teams are now sending up their fullbacks, their defenders, mm-hmm. to, to whip crosses in and to be part of the build-up you wouldn't have seen that 10 years ago so that's another example of the evolution of the game mm-hmm. of it's, it's changing now and it, it's fun to watch because one team will do it and then the next year all the top teams will try some variation because they're saying oh hey that liverpool are doing it and they're getting ahead uh liverpool mm-hmm. won the champions league 2018 so or no, sorry 2019 they got to mm-hmm. the final 18 uh but anyway, so teams see it and then teams kind of copy in their own kind of way, their own style. Right. So you see year by year uh, evolution, which is also really fun to watch. Yeah. I wish there was... Probably so, the same for most sports, I think. Yeah, I wish there was more of that because it seems like for football, it was, it's so... It evolves so quickly and rapidly because you have so many different leagues that are trying to do their own thing, that are trying... Not only trying to do their own thing, they're trying to take what other people are doing and perfect it. They're trying to... I, you, I'll get better at it and beat you with your game. You know, I think it, with um with basketball it isn't quite so apparent because it's okay, now I say basketball, there is Euro basket, which by the way, European basketball I think is growing to a rate that I've never we've never really seen it before and it's unprecedented how good how good these European players are. I just think you could name right now I think honestly the best big man in the NBA is Nikola Nikola Jokic. Like right. These these 
Slavic people, man. Why, where are these people coming from? It's, it's amazing. And just, um, would back to what I was saying about tactics or whatnot. I wish there was more diversity in the NBA because right now it's, you probably know it's the big, the biggest thing is the three point line. The metrics uh, are all about, you know, oh, right. shooter, shooter, shooters. We want more shooters. And it's only because it's really only because this one team did it so much better than other people to the point where teams are developing their whole strategy. They're drafting players. They're buying. They're bringing in different players. Marketing-wise, they're developing players specifically to beat this one team. You know, whereas in football, right. you have... If you're only worrying about one team... Whereas in basketball, if you only worry about one team, you could beat... You could win the championship. You know, if, let's say, Denver wanted... Really, really wanted to. If all they focused on was the Lakers they might well win the championship. Whereas with football, it's like, you got to worry about so many different aspects. So to me, it's kind of, it's, right. this is eye opening to me because now you're kind of painting this picture of soccer, of football being this very mechanical, different. It's almost like the beauty of baseball. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the mechanical aspect of baseball combined with the athleticism of track and field, just kind of very, it's so fluid yes. and there's so many different dimensions, you know? I just, I just want to add on that because I, I agree completely and I follow American sports as well. But for me, really what contributes to, I would say, a rich tapestry of, of football mm-hmm. is the fact that you have different leagues who are all competitive and strong and powerful. Whereas in the NBA, to, to your point, you have 30 teams playing. Mm-hmm. They all play each other every year. I think they play each other like, what, like four times a year or something. And if you're in division, yeah. it's more. Like you're playing the same teams again and again and again. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like you're all in the same bowl. You're in the same mixing bowl. And mm-hmm. so you might have one team like the Warriors with Steph Curry uh, try, try a new tactic. It's not, it's not long before everyone's doing the exact same thing. Whereas in football, I know I keep banging on about it, but you have different, you have La Liga in Spain, right. you have the Bundesliga in Germany. And they're their you have own the Premier leagues. League in England. Right. They're in, yeah, they're in leagues and it's like a different bowl and they're playing each other every year and then the best of the best play each other. And so... I think you just have a lot more room for experimentation and for yeah for for the evolutionary tree to to branch out in different ways. It's not as uniform. It's not as monoculture in football. You have just a diversity of kind of what we we're saying before. There's no one pure way of playing football because Italians will tell you they're playing it the pure way, <laughs> and the Argentinians will tell you they're playing it the pure way, and they're two very different ways. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's a very different experience. Yeah, it's it's. You talk about leagues. They're actually leagues within their own. When you say the best play the best, so maybe spell it out for me a little bit how how that comes to be. So you have these different leagues. Is UEFA, like, is the World Cup, what is the ultimate kind of unifying the best play the best? Because you you said something about, you know, the game, the reason the game is beautiful is because these different leagues get to play each other. What are the mechanisms slash events that allow these things to happen? Um, cause I, I, I really don't know. Like UEFA, all I know is world cup. All I know is FIFA world, like, you know, FIFA world cup. That's like the big mm-hmm. one that everyone yep. kind of harps on. Right. But that's still not really like, cause you're, you're taking, you know, the nation itself and you know, the players that play for each clubs that come together and it's not maybe the best pure football. Whereas I, I feel, you know, so yeah. How, yeah, how yeah, do yeah. the best get to play the best? Sure. Sure. So every country has their domestic leagues. So mm-hmm. I'll, I'll give England as an example. England, you have five leagues, like mm-hmm. five tiers. You have the Premier League at the top, 
then you have the championship, you have League One, League Two, and you have the conference below. So you have five mm-hmm. levels, tiers, and in total, that's 92 teams. Wow. And below that, oh, trust me, below that, you have mm-hmm. 120 leagues below that in 480 divisions. Mm-hmm. I think over 4,000 teams in total, but below that, semi professional in England. Ooh, wow. So you have just a complete an ocean of, of football teams below. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are small little villages and little towns and everything and, and stuff. So you have your domestic leagues and the Premier League is the very top for England. The same will be true for Spain, for, for Germany. You'll have the Bundesliga, then you have all the leagues below that. Mm-hmm. So you have, you have the domestic leagues and then you have UEFA is the governing body for European football. Mm-hmm. So UEFA stands for, I think it's United European Football Associations. Mm-hmm. So it's just the governing body for all of the European football leagues, and they have the Champions League, which you probably have heard of and might be familiar with. Yep. The Champions League every year is the best thirty-two teams from across Europe. Oh. So the four best in England and the four best in Italy, the four best in Spain, etc., all join. So that's when you have the big teams. Like that's when you have Barcelona playing, uh, playing Bayern Munich, and you have Inter Milan playing Liverpool. You know, you have the big teams playing. Mm-hmm. That's that's strictly club level, and you have the same thing in in like South America, for example. You have the the Copa Libertadores. We butchered that, but that is the it's the same thing for South America. We have the best South American clubs. So like the unifying from Brazil, body, from, right? Yeah, yeah. I think Cunabal is the. Oh, that might be North America. But there's, there's the same thing, a unifying body. So you have the best teams from Brazil, Argentina, Colombia, mm-hmm. etc. But that's all club level. And then at the national level, you have FIFA, which is the global governing body. So FIFA is the Federation of International Football Associations. So it's just, it's just uh, international mm-hmm. country level. And they host the it's the World Cup every four years, which everyone gets super excited for. I love the World Cup. It's nothing ever comes close to the World Cup. And that's mm. when you have the countries playing, you know, Brazil plays England, Germany mm. plays France, etc. Okay. So, yeah, yeah, because what would have made it, what you were making it sound like early, and that, that makes sense now, because what you were making it sound like early, because was that, apart from the World Cup, there was another champ, like uh, tournament slash championship that you would get all the leagues. I guess that's what the World Cup is, huh? It's just... That's what the World Cup is in effect. Because what it made it sound like, what you made it sound like was these uh, teams that had players from different players from different countries or whatnot. Eventually, like the best mm-hmm. two teams would come to play. So like Arsenal would never play. Um, so a team like Manchester United would never or not would never play a team like um, the best team from Germany or no would never play the best team from South America. Would it like as far as like in an organized tournament? Right, so yeah, there is. Uh, they have the FIFA World Club Cup, mm-hmm. which is ostensibly it's the World Cup for clubs. It's not ah. really a big thing, and what 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 they do is they have it every year. They have the winner of the Champions League, mm-hmm. so the best European team. Then they have the the winner of the Copa Libertadores, so the best South American team, and best Asian team, African team, etc. They have all the representatives come and play. Oh, so okay. ostensibly that's supposed to determine who the best club team is. The reality is uh, the European team wins, wins it every year because mm. the European club teams always they have all, usually always they the have all the best crop yeah. from around the world anyway. That's where the money is going, 
where as far as yeah yep. okay man the way you were describing uh how extensive these underclubs are that's where i really get interested that's where all these the, all the coolest so kind of sports stories yeah. yeah all those coolest yeah. kind of sports stories come from and the only american mm-hmm. parallel i can make are colleges that's it you know like college or you know the high school yep. level it's kind of melted amateurism is kind of operates within the gray area in america a little bit because you can get if you look at on if you look online there are some fantastic you know high school slash college players you know like we're talking sports in general like you know basketball i'll I'll use basketball just as a petri dish example but it seems like the no in vain of um the territory of amateurism is so different um differently defined when it comes to america versus any other country but yet it's this weird hodge weird hodgepodge wherein college basketball and college sports in america get so much funding but you you, you never really see it um mm-hmm. but where's the money going where as far as these clubs in you know england or spain or south america the money is going to these players you know so do you, like have you ever yep. thought about that how weird it is how weird how big you know, say college football is in America, oh, yeah. but yet at the same time, it's like that's the only kind of development league, and it's you know, it's weird. It, to me, to me, it's I don't know. Yeah, it's so it's hard to wrap your head around. I, I I agree with you. I agree with you. I think the part of the difference is that in the U.S., sports have a much bigger jump from professional down to the whatever the development league, developmental league is below. Yes. So you have Major League Baseball. Mm-hmm. And you have the minor leagues. That's a big jump. And then below the minors, you don't have much. I know you have mm-hmm. like AAA and AA, but there's not a whole lot. And I don't know many fans who are like passionate fans of a minor league team. Like mm-hmm. I lived in central Pennsylvania for five years and I was right beside Harrisburg, the state capital. Mm-hmm. And they had a minor league team, the Harrisburg Senators. And we were the farmer team for, for the Washington Nationals. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bryce Harper actually played for Senators, which was pretty cool before my time but that was pretty neat but like we'd go a few times and have a beer and have a hot dog and people would then have a good time but people mm-hmm. weren't really fans of harrisburg senators it was just farmer farmer team mm-hmm. but in the uk we have a much uh smoother gradient from the top to yeah. the premier league all the way down there's a lot more steps to get down and so like my local team i live in exeter city of maybe a hundred thousand people and our local club exeter fc is in League Two, which is confusingly the fourth tier down. So we're the fourth tier. We're not right, very right. good. Okay. okay. But you know, but you guys get support. COVID, I would go. Yeah. Oh yeah, I would go almost every Saturday before COVID. Saturday three o'clock kickoff. Oh, that sounds so. We'd fun. usually have five or six thousand uh, mm-hmm. with us for the big games, nine thousand. So not a whole lot of people, five or six thousand, but people come there to to support the team. They always bring drums. We have a standing oh, section where I always stand, man. and I always stand right in front of call themselves the red legion is our like hardcore <laughs> fan base so you have the red legion wow they have these massive banners mm-hmm. and they bring in drums and so they're playing drums the entire game they bring in flares and flags so i'm always standing right in front of them so from behind me it's just a pulsing a pulse rate of a drum beat for the entire football match oh, and that... we're all singing we're all singing in unison oh, we're all standing man. and singing for the entire 90 minutes uh, because the difference is we're not as fans and we're not there to be entertained. We're supporters and we're there to support our team. So we have a responsibility 
to motivate our team and to get our team going we're not sitting back with a hot dog and saying oh you know do something entertain us we we're there and we're rowdy and we're loud and we're singing to really you know we feel like we have a role to play in the team uh, i forget where i was going with that but no no man that really touches on something i really wanted to ask you about was just fandom culture slash sports watching culture you go to a live game right you've been to you've been i mm-hmm. i gather you've been to a handful of american uh yeah, I've, been, I've been to yeah. NBA, been NBA. To baseball, but hockey, man, you look at yeah. you look at the footage. I've only ever been able to see it online on YouTube. The songs, the songs at these stadiums, oh, yeah. the atmosphere flares like light up flares. Um, and it looks yeah. like the, it looks like a mini protest. It looks like it looks like things could get a little weird. Like, so yeah. how do you learn these songs? Are these songs like local to each team? Is that how it works? Every- Every team has their own songs, yeah. Oh. You'll have a lot of the same uh, like themes, the same mm-hmm. tunes, and then the hardcore fan bases will change the lyrics depending, oh. depending on your team. So you'll sing for your players, and we'll even we'll sing, we'll change the lyrics for the opposing teams. We'll sing against their players or against <sighs> their coach. We'll swap in lyrics for, for whoever we're playing, mm-hmm. which is a lot of fun. But I, I think it's the biggest difference, and I don't want to be like, crashing on american sports because i really do like american yeah. sports but it's just different yeah. it's it's very different i think the biggest distinction is this idea of being a fan versus being a supporter so in america a lot of people sports fans a describe supporter. themselves as fans you know they'd say oh i'm a laker fan yeah. I'm, I'm a celtics fan i'm a you know something <clears throat> you know i'm a sports fan right uh in england you would ask who do you support if you're talking about football like well, oh, what team do you support wow and it's and you would say, oh, I'm a Liverpool supporter. I'm a Man United supporter. Oh. Some people say fans, but not really. It's it's much more this idea. And then when you go to an NBA game, uh, they have a halftime show and they have cheerleaders and they have things and they have mascots firing t-shirts into the crowd for, for the NBA. And there's this feeling of like, oh, I'm being entertained. It's like a show. Like I'm here to watch, here to have a good time. Yeah. In football, there's no cheerleaders. There's no halftime show. It's There's perfect. no free game stuff. That sounds great. You go, you're there to watch your team. Yeah, support mm-hmm. your team. And that's why the drums are there. That's why the singing is there because you're, yeah, you're there to pull your, pull your team through. It's, it's a whole different perspective. It's a whole different yeah. experience. Both have positives and negatives, but yeah. for me, I love, I love it. The closest thing get, I get can kind of get there. No, that sounds... Oh man, just the way you sell it, just the way you're describing it makes me want to go <laughs> and just witness it firsthand. Just I'd be a complete Please outsider come. I'll in take it, you. but man, I'll take I you, man. even I'll because show you, yeah. it 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 doesn't even have to for me, it's not even the highest levels of the game, although that'd be fantastic, right? But the way you're describing it's League 2, right? It's the effective kind of equivalent of people it's going f- to a division. Yeah. Yeah. Fourth division down. It's like us going to a uh college d1 uh, or d5 game or, or an nai game you're there mm-hmm. it's interesting yeah. that you describe it as in the vein of a supporter what it means to be a sport supporter that's a completely different dimension of um why you're there to begin with i i, I would imagine that kind of harks ticket prices up fairly good that, that's a marketing in and of itself you're describing a culture mm-hmm. that um a culture that fosters uh so being a supporter of a sport that i think that's a right. wild concept for america's because america's uh yeah it's like it's like you said you you go to these games and it's like they're trying to entertain you whereas you you watch like um 
it yeah. doesn't even it, it, yeah that's the wild part about it it doesn't even it isn't even like manchester united or whatnot it can be league division four kind of league two thing and the people are bellowing yeah bellowing and the closest thing you can get to it in america are college sports because they're there effectively to support their players you know which you Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you say that gets translated onto the professional scene too right it's not just a local kind of team or whatnot oh yeah yeah man what is america doing wrong i I really think man (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's cool i think i think college sports especially college football is probably a good analogy because Sure. I actually haven't been to one, but I've seen like uh, videos of Penn State and Michigan mm-hmm. State and different, you know, the big ones, Oklahoma, Alabama, and it it looks pretty similar. I mean, you look at the big house uh, in Michigan; I think they have one hundred and ten thousand fans mm-hmm. can fit in there. And, oh yeah, you know they'll have the college, they'll have like the whiteout where like everyone's wearing white shirts and they'll bring in stuff. And yeah, from just looking from a video, that looks similar in terms of they're there to support and they're there to really get behind the team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, I could the closest, the two closest experiences I've ever had to whatever you guys are doing, whatever party you guys are having in England, man, is the the closest <laughs> I've ever been to that is the Warriors when they were just starting to rise. Hey, in, we back in 2013, they played against mm. the Clippers on Christmas Day, and it was the most. Man, and that that's that to me is kind of like tier. S tier as far as man, like if 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 professional sports gets that passionate, and I feel like the last time, uh, the two experiences I've had personally in person were you know watching a Warriors game at Oracle Arena when they when Steph was starting to do his thing when the team was starting to break new ground. The other part was when I got to cover an Ohio State game. Um, it was just a spring game, but man, the atmosphere is just it's something. I think that's why people, a lot of people say I was confused at first in college. A lot of people were saying, um, and a lot of them were kind of biased fans like, oh, college basketball is so much better. College football is so much better. I'm like, dude, if you look at the footage. Like it's, my man, objectively, the game itself is, is so right. much. <laughs> it's not a comparison, <laughs> really. But um, yeah, I think there is something to be said about the vein of a supporter. And I just kind of wish... Um, it was like that a little bit in the States where you get supporters. Like I, I think I'd consider myself a supporter of the golden state warriors. Yeah. <laughs> hey man, we, we, we've been through yeah. a lot this year and you know, it's just, yeah, I kind of wish, yeah. I kind of wish it was the same way, but um, in that respect, do you think it's the same? I, I think going back to football and how it is like that, it, it, it seriously is like that for I think the question I'm trying to ask is the gradient, the gradient you were talking about earlier between professional and then uh, amateur players. You're saying it's a lot smoother, right? So Mm -hmm. what you're essentially saying there, what it sounds like you're saying is there are a lot of opportunities to get paid as a football player, right? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So like my my local team, I talked about Exeter, they're professional. Mm -hmm. They're not making a whole lot probably. Mm -hmm. Um. But they're probably making like two thousand pounds a month, which in USD is maybe thirty-five to forty k a year. Okay. Um, as players, so, I mean, nothing crazy for like an athlete, professional athlete, but it's enough to live on. You know, mm-hmm. they make their living playing, and this is in the fourth fourth division, League mm-hmm. Two. So that sounds that lot. sounds if you want great. To be a football player, there's a lot. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, they train during the week, and that, that's their full time job. I mean, they're not they're not owning mansions, but Mm-hmm. It's professional. So these are potentially I, I people one, that you uh, could get to know, basically. Almost. 
Like, yeah, I see them. I see them around town. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I don't speak to them, but I see them around mm-hmm. town. Yeah. I I will say one very small caveat about uh, my description of of the fan bases. Sure. They is uniformly true in most places that to be the case with the, the mm-hmm. drums and the singing and the the very very ardent fan bases. Yeah. However, the, the big big teams usually are a bit of a letdown. Uh, Real Madrid, Manchester mm-hmm. United, Chelsea. Of course. Uh, because because they're so world famous. It's more corporate. What you'll often obviously. see is a, yeah, it's more corporate. You've got a lot more business executives there, and you also have a lot more tourists. Right. So, like Man United, I've been there many times at Old Trafford, and I've been disappointed quite a lot of times mm-hmm. because you have a lot of tourists, a lot of people coming in to see, you know, the famous Man United. Yeah. And they got the kids, the family with them. It's not the same sort of nitty gritty, working obviously, class, yeah, passionate fan base. You're paying so much money um, for these tickets, so, obviously, right? Yeah, yeah, they they're quite. Well, they can be quite affordable, but but even yeah. so, I think it's a different experience for for the big famous clubs. Yeah, uh, they can be a bit of a letdown, especially once you go down to the lower leagues. Mm-hmm. It's it's pretty oh, passionate. That sounds yeah. so fun. I I can't think of a better. Oh man, that just the thought of it kind of makes me man. I, I wish there was something, especially with COVID right now. But the best I can do, obviously, is like high school sports. Yeah, if Carmel High School here, they could. Yeah, they're pretty good. You know. Um. And it's all. I think it's always going to be like that, especially when so much money. I don't. I don't mean to sound like you're you're paying a lot for these tickets, but when so much money is being poured into a single kind of event, you know, which is why COVID is so weird because you go to these, you watch these events online, and they're pumping in fake crowd noise, and I feel like for basketball that's a jarring experience. For you guys, that's probably got to be the worst. Like, oh, what is this? When it first started out, it's weird. Right? Yeah. What was that like first watching? A football, because I remember football. La Liga was like the first. Was it La Liga or it, it, yeah? Mm-hmm. It was La Liga. It was the and, first uh, league to do it. Bundesliga as well. The German. Yeah, league, Bundesliga. Yeah. yeah, Bundesliga was. They, they were the first league um, to kind of do soccer during COVID. Um, and for me, the first major sporting event was UFC. Was the UFC with Tony Ferguson and Justin Gaethje? For me, it was like whoa! Like they're actually fighting, and it's COVID. What was that like for you? And like, what do you, what league do you think has done it the best as far as, and I asked the sports reporter slash columnist last week, this very same question. What you watch a lot of sports, right? And Mm -hmm. you, you've been able to listen, witness it a lot, which sport slash league do you think has done the best job at, you know, kind of, uh, not only maintaining the safety of their players, but also, um, still delivering on the like product recreating the experience yeah, yeah. Re- either recreating the experience or giving the fans like the the product basically mm-hmm. it's weird it's it's really weird because with all these sports um football and basketball the crowd has so I don't much follow to the do ufc with it. but I, mm-hmm. it's so it's it, it's very strange because so like the the bubble nba bubble right the playoffs sure if you look just look at the court just look at the court same thing is happening, right? It's five players against five players, mm-hmm. still shooting in the ball. Like it's the same rules. Like everything is the exact same. Just yeah. looking at the court. But I mean, the bubble was weird. I mean, Ew. I had moments of drama and moments of fun. But like when you know, I've been a Lakers fan for a long time, and they've you know, LeBron ended their ten-year drought on this very emotional year, losing Kobe. Um, ten years after he, he did it, too. championship. Yeah. Yep. Ten years after he did it, I really hoped. By the way, I really hoped that Celtics 
would win in the Eastern Finals. Oh, it's so a different for them to face off. Because I thought that would have been amazing if the oh. Lakers played the Celtics. I thought that would be really, really That great. would have been, but Miami was just too good, man. Miami was just was I I yeah. am so it's impressed good. with them, yeah. But what were you saying about how they you've um, been But I was saying that it was it was a huge moment. The Lakers were winning the championship, but it just yeah. felt so strange. It felt so weird because there's no fans. And it was like I mean, I'm sure everyone feels the same way. Like they did the best they could, and I was really impressed with the organization of the NBA and how they were able to pull that off. Mm-hmm. But it's it's really not the same thing. No. It's, it really isn't. I mean, in in Old in Old Trafford, where Manchester United play, my my favorite team, the team I support, uh, we have a massive banner that says "Football is nothing without fans," and it's a quote actually from one of our all-time great coaches, Sir, Sir Matt Busby, one of our all-time greats. And it was his famous quote, football is nothing without fans. Like we're doing this for, for the people. Mm-hmm. And it's so true. Like it's true for mo- for every sport, I think. It's just Correct. it's a weird time. It's a weird time. And I think people are making the most of it. You know, commentators and journalists and the players are making the best they can and credit to them. But it's it's not the same. I just thought there were things that uh, you know, because football, I think you you said you pointed it out that the same thing is happening on the pitch, right? But it's mm-hmm. With, with, with a sport like football, the crowd is such an integral part of that experience. Uh, as, and maybe that kind of sets itself apart from every other sport, viewing sport in the world, in that the crowd and you as a viewer play that role. You play a role. You know, whereas yeah. other sports, you go to be entertained. With basketball, I thought the few things they could have adjusted to make it real, like an actual inexperience of itself, I thought they could have... Maybe tone down the crowd kind of recreation simulation a little bit. <laughs> I I I, com- I complained about this a lot, yeah. uh, and I, I'm still kind of salty about it now. Although as as the games went do by, you, like do I you would, mean the the noise? The, you mean the audio? Or do you the, mean like the screens, the artificial the... the artificial crowd noise and the screen? You know, I'm not you know yeah, and the screens of fans just watching. You know, I thought to me because as sports fans, we always think we always think of different scenarios for our sports right we always think of different scenarios for our players like hey what would happen if you took the best players in the world and just put them in an empty gym and you got to be a fly on the wall for that what would that be like that'd be if if you told me that that'd be incredible like hey they're just gonna play in a high school gym and uh yeah you get to watch that you get to hear everything they're saying and to me audio was a huge part of how like that could have been so much better as far as the nba like really fleshing out the product. Now, of course, they are owned by Disney. They are owned by a governing body that doesn't want swearing, that doesn't want these different things to be heard because, you know, it's inevitable. Right. And the sports, at the highest levels of the game, you're going to have these highly intense competitive moments. And in these moments, people swear. I feel like swearing is half the reason why they, <laughs> you know, because... It's that uncanny valley thing where you were watching mm-hmm. earlier. It's like anytime a player scores, you know a DJ is up in the booth pressing yay. You know, like there's no booing. Like the booing, yeah. there's no yeah. booing. That's weird. LeBron James shooting a free throw in the pivotal moments of the game, and there's no booing. It's just, <laughs> you know, it's weird. And I feel like the league yeah. that did that, you know, especially it came after watching the Last Dance documentary, you know, with Michael Jordan, just like an up close and personal account. And that documentary mm-hmm. is one of the best sports documentaries I've ever seen, just because it's so raw 
you you have players dropping f bombs all over the place. Now I won't it's advocate good. for really that. It's really good. I'm not advocating for that, but that's the reality of the field. You know, it's highly competitive and it's raw and it's men battling and duking out. I feel like a lot of sports leagues. Um, I don't know as much about football, but like in in America, they've really tried to recreate the fan experience from home. And I feel like that's a that that right there is the integral problem. They're trying to create the fan experience, whereas football, it's like the supporter experience. What's that like? You can't recreate that right. at all. But I feel like the one league right. that has done it best, not only the best, but they've all they've kind of made it into a different product. Almost like you can't you can't recreate this even with fans. Is the UFC? You know why? Oh, really? Because they don't censor Come. anything. You know. That's the incredible part of it. They don't. When ESPN acquired uh, the UFC, they kept the UFC maintained that it would market its fights their way. They would sell their fights their way, and they would carry out their events, the pay per views, their own way. The only difference is they're doing it every single Saturday. Every Saturday has an event, right? But the thing they did Whoa. right for me was they didn't dumb down the audio because. When you're watching a fight with a bunch of people, you don't really hear the thwacks or you don't really. But man, that first fight, I don't know if you watched it. You could hear everything. And I thought it was beautiful. (laughs) And I thought, man, you won't be able to be weird. It is weird. And it was brutal. And yet it made the product like in in a weird way even better than if fans were there. Now, obviously, like, come on, like, I don't really want to see Conor, Conor McGregor fight without a crowd. I think that's just kind of, that's heartbreaking to think of. Mm-hmm. He needs oh, it, doesn't he? Oh, no, he doesn't yeah. only need it, but man, like you hear like, ole, ole, ole. like I don't know why that became a thing uh, with, yeah, with yeah. Conor or, or whatnot. Um, yeah, just my little rant. I, I feel, I really feel like, man, like there's so, there's still so much room to improve as far as in the current time that we have now, you know, yeah. with COVID still being a huge thing, I just hope uh, they continue to find ways to make stuff better in terms of broadcasting. Anyway, um, I I really hope I hope we can go back in soon. Yeah. Uh, so what's it like in England like right in England right now? Exeter, are you are you still not able to go to games, or are they still not doing anything? Is it socially distanced? Because you know, football, NFL, sometimes. You know, or college football, they'll have really kind of evenly spaced out fans and not a whole lot of, not many people will go, not many people can go, you know. What's it like currently for you guys? We were starting, we were starting to taper toward having 30% capacity for stadiums. Mm-hmm. So in October, we began having some trial runs of like two or 3,000 fans, mm-hmm. excuse me, back in the stadiums. But now the UK, we've just entered a second lockdown. If most of Europe and the US, our cases are spiking again. It looks like a second wave or a third wave. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we've shut down the entire country for another month, just oh, starting last man. week. So Like a real legitimate yeah, shutdown. They've, they've, yeah, yeah. Restaurants closed, pubs oh, closed, man. shops are closed. Yeah. Oh. Every non-essential business is shut down for a month. So they're trying to do like a circuit breaker before Christmas to try and help with the Christmas period. Yeah, so, so going back to... to Football stadiums has been cut again. Damn. Which I know there's bigger things to worry about, but just because we're talking about football, it's on my mind. Uh, next summer, mm-hmm. the Euros have been postponed. So the Euros are full of countries in Europe. And it's a, really, it's a really big tournament, second only to the World Cup, right. in my estimation. 
Mm-hmm. And I actually have tickets to England's home opener. We play Croatia in the home opener. Oh, that's going to be cool whenever that happens. 90,000 fans. I got, yeah, tickets for myself and my three brothers. Got four tickets, and we're going to be out there. Uh, so I hope we're allowed in. Like, I hope they let fans in. Uh, whenever that happens, see, oh, against Croatia, too. Yeah. Jeez, that's like, mm-hmm. oh, that was another team. I really, because well, obviously they made it to the finals, right? But yeah, that year I, I, I heard a lot of memes. Um, 2018 i think the slogan was <laughs> it's coming home what, what can what can can you give it's me the background home. on yeah what is that what, what you know because some people get very emotional we, some people we, get very upset <laughs> when i say that but what does that mean for for you guys yeah so so we sing it every tournament it began uh for the 1996 euros mm-hmm. and that was the theme song of that tournament and it's the idea that the thing is football's coming home and it's the idea that England, we invented football. We are the the mother of football in in some ways, but for a long time we have been terrible. Like we on on the national stage, we won sure. the World Cup in 1966, and then a 50 years it's since then we've long? done nothing. And so it's been yeah wow. since mid 60s, so like 50 years. Okay, um, coming <laughs> up on a bit longer. We haven't won anything as a, as a national team. And so mm. in 1996, England was the host of the Euros. It was all played in England. And it was the idea that football's coming home. We're going to win the trophy and it's going to come back to its rightful place. Uh, we didn't win. We, got, we lost on penalties to Germany in the oh, semifinals. Oh, that sucks. Heartbreaking. That's, like, that's the worst opponent to lose to, too. Like, historically, are you kidding rivals. me? Yeah, yeah bitterest rivals. Mm-hmm. Um, and could have won that. So that, that was our theme song for that tournament. And then it's just sure. come back every tournament. We sing it. And it's our anthem. It's our, you know, it's our cry to to bring football home. Mm-hmm. So ne- next year, next year, we'll, next year, next year, we'll man. Hey, 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 There's man. If, Cle- year, yeah. if Cleveland can win a freaking NBA championship, well, yep. I mean, they had LeBron, but I mean, yeah, we can do it. I think I feel like y'all can do it. If you, kind of, kind of in closing here, because I'm I'm sensing, um, you you've watched sports for a while. If you had to name three to five of the most impactful sports figures in your life, who would that be as far as, and they don't even have to be professional. They can be, they can be people you played with as well. Um, if you had to kind of who you are today and how, you know, how you can watch a football game and know everything that's going on or who you are as a sports guy today, like what, what are some of the, what are some of these key figures that you, um, you hold dear basically? So okay, that, not to put you on question. the spot or anything like that. You can just think of one or two that no, come to fine. mind. No, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. I'll I'll, na- I'll name a couple. Uh, one player who's someone that we know, like not a professional player, but I'll name Zach Johnson. She from high school days. U15 coach right now. He, he just won by Zach. Did you know that? I know. Yeah, oh, really. I didn't wild. know they won. Yeah, they oh, won. I'm so excited for what oh, he's nice. doing. Well, yeah. Done, Zach. Yeah, get on, mate. Uh, yeah, I mean, growing up, he was. A very very good athlete mm-hmm. he took his sport seriously he was a multi-sport athlete he was dominant in basketball in volleyball he played football for a while mm-hmm. and he was disciplined he was determined he was very good and he took his training his practice seriously so for me as like a, a peer among him he was always sort of a role model for me in that respect and influenced the way i perceive preparation and, and playing mm-hmm. so I'll, I'll name him i'll name just one other another uh player and it would it would have to be uh the late kobe bryant he mm. had to pay respect to, to him he is the reason i follow basketball i'll have a very i have a very quick story 
Uh, I moved to Bangkok and we got a TV for the first time in 2008. Eight, 2008 yep. First time ever having a TV. Oh, yeah. And that mm-hmm. that summer uh, was the NBA Finals. Lakers Celtics yep. was playing. They were playing in June or July, whenever it was, 2008. And I remember flicking through channels one one day. Trying to find and a I game. I didn't follow basketball at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, no, no. Just like flicking through channels, literally. And then it came on. It was the NBA game. I think it was game three the finals and i was like oh basketball I, I, that's kind of cool like i want to get into that like i saw it was okay. the finals i was like whoa yeah. the finals that's pretty cool like all right okay cool I was, little, mm-hmm. I was 13 years old and i remember it was like halfway through the game i think it was the third quarter or something and uh kobe was on the bench and they subbed him in and i remember hearing his name before but i didn't know he was good i didn't know his significance i didn't know anything about him yeah. because he was subbing on i thought oh he's uh probably some like bench player he's a squad player he's not that good <laughs> And he came on, and Kobe does. Kobe does what Kobe, Kobe does. does. What he, Kobe does. The game with I think almost forty points. He had like thirty six or something. Thirty eight. Yeah. Uh, and he just he captivated me. So ever since then, he's been my sporting icon. I've adored, adored Kobe. He was heartbroken in December, uh, January. Yeah, me too. To hear his news. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, crushed me a little bit. That was that was tough news. It's to hard hear. to think about you because it wasn't he, just him. The fact that he went missed. down with his with his daughter. It, but for me, Kobe was the right. guy. Same. Right. I have to go echo the same. Kobe for me mm-hmm. was my favorite player growing up. I did a I did a book report yep. on him in fifth grade. My, my Miss Marina, God bless her soul, thought I was a little crazy because it was like this little you know biography of Kobe Bryant or whatnot. And I just I just went with it. You know, go out of Jersey whatnot. Kobe, Sweet. the one time I saw him. Um, live, man, it was, you know, the warrior, if you're a Warriors fan, if you're a Golden State Warriors fan, it's in California. Okay. We are in California and you know, the mm-hmm. Lakers are the most dominant team, probably in basketball history besides the Celtics. But in, as far as California goes, the thing that always annoys me about Lakers fans is they travel so well like oh like oh, <laughs> oh they, they'll, they'll, they'll every game's a home game right Ooh, every game's a home game. even when they sucked it, it was still kind of a home game for them like so i mean yeah yeah so this was 2013 it was december um you know we went to go see the lakers versus the warriors and the warriors were up by 14 going into the fourth quarter this is when steph was starting to find himself a little bit but this was also yep. The game, the game that I saw was Steve Nash's return. It, it was Steve Nash's first time on the court with Kobe and Dwight Howard. You know, it was like, whoa. Like, I, frankly, I couldn't even believe I was there. And Kobe was struggling the whole game. But these Lakers fans, man, they just annoyed me so much. It's like, Kobe, championship, going <laughs> championship. Yeah, yeah, it, it's, it can get a little, especially if you sit higher up and get yeah. a little hostile out there. But, man... Kobe was struggling, mm. but then slowly, 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 he started to turn it up, turn it up, turn it up, turn it up. And man, there is no feeling of despair and kind of that feeling, that gut <laughs> feeling you get, that heart sinking moment right. when in the closing minutes, you know, the game's on the line and, you know, you want your team to win. And coming up the court is with the ball in his hand is Kobe Bryant with 10 seconds left on the clock. And it's, I, I think. That's the most kind of like, oh, I, I can't describe it. It's, it's almost like, you know, when an airplane has turbulence and you drop a little bit, that's what it felt like just watching Kobe mm-hmm. dribble off the ball. Like, mm-hmm. oh, you, you know, he's going to make it. 
He didn't mm-hmm. make it. But what he did, he went off for 44. He, he, he went off for 34 in the whole game, wow. struggling the whole... It was the fourth quarter he went off, and he had this great alley-oop dunk. Yeah, Kobe was just... Something else, man. He's yeah. the greatest. So, yeah. Yeah. so yeah, Kobe would be icon. that guy for me. Uh, another guy would be, yep. if we're going to go the local level, do you ever know Top? Top Taifa? He was Pop's older brother. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, uh-huh. Talk about a super. I think that guy, if, if there had to be... I mean, obviously, ICS doesn't idolize its athletes, you know, but if there had to be a jersey retired, his jersey, I feel like he used the... The guy was... Oh, man. Like, he... He was the best point guard I think ICS has ever had. And on top of that, he played every sport. He played volleyball, he played soccer, kind of like Zach, but man, top yeah, he was, was captain. Just... He was captain of the football team. Yeah. Senior year. And that wild but captain of the football team, despite the fact that he, I think he'd only been playing it for like two years and he was just like, yeah, you know what? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to do this now. Um, yeah, yeah. So that, that'd be me. And the other player. Um, he was good. And he, he was just a nice guy. I feel like the consistency between uh, these athletes, you know, Zach or Top or whatnot, it's the fact that, you know, they were very good athletes, but they prioritize people more. And that's what I really appreciated about these two athletes that we, you know, we kind of mm-hmm. uh, grew up around. And yeah, they, they just, I feel like, I don't know where this came from, but it's just, yeah, they kind of impacted the way we fell in love with the game, which is important, you know, because... You know, different. There are lots mm-hmm. of sports fans across the world that didn't grow up playing the sport, so they don't. You know, they missed out on the chance to kind of grow up around, or maybe they had, you know, a bad childhood. I, I just feel like we, in a sense, were lucky to grow up in a in a culture that fostered that kind of love for the game, and you know, we could have fun with it. You know, both competing wise and um, viewership wise. Um, so uh, maybe in closing, yeah, maybe kind absolutely. of tell us. Tell us what's going on with your podcast, what what kind of stuff you're covering at the moment and how we can how we can how we can listen to it basically. Yeah, definitely. Thanks. So it's called Part Time Football. Mm-hmm. I have an Instagram page. Uh tag is part time football. Mm-hmm. A part underscore time underscore football. Uh podcast, it's available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, really. It's it's all over the place. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've taken a break actually for the past couple of weeks. I haven't been making some new content. Uh, that's just because I've been exceptionally busy and I mm-hmm. haven't been able to uh, coordinate cover. Sure. But we will be back soon. And we've been doing two episodes a week covering uh, the Premier League. So we do a preview episode for the weekend's uh, fixtures and then a, a reviewing, like a, a response, a reaction video uh, podcast afterwards, which has been really fun. I think what we might try and start doing is do one episode a week of like previewing the games mm-hmm. and also re- like reaction, reacting to the games and then also do one episode a week or one every two weeks of more uh, general topics, more general like football related things mm-hmm. where we could talk about trends in the game or provide like a tactical breakdown of a particular team or a tactical analysis, just a bit more open. So it's not just reviewing games every weekend, but just gives us a bit more freedom to mm-hmm. talk about football in, in, a, in a bigger capacity so yeah I, yeah so you... I'm, I'm i'm looking forward to that and mm-hmm. and we'll see where see where it goes so for football it's like you always have stuff to there's always stuff to talk about right it's it's right. For football it, it's all it always seems like it's um you know how the nba or other sports they have an off season it seems like the off season for you guys happens as you're playing because like there's so much micromanagement slash 
things that are going mm-hmm. on within within the vein of the sport. So, yeah. So Ben Talbot, uh, part time football can be found on Spotify or any uh, uh, podcasting streaming service of your choice. Please be sure to go check out his work. A lot of great stuff to talk about sports wise. Um, anything else, bro? Anything else you you'd like to leave us with as far as no football? No. Nothing from me. Just just want to say thank you. Thank you for having me on. Thanks for having this conversation. It was a lot of fun. And yeah. Appreciate you giving me the shout out. Appreciate no, no love. problem at all. To you, definitely. We'll have to have you on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. I mean, do, man, do you come you visit kind of... me. I'll have, I'll have oh, to take you to a game. Oh, my goodness. Oh, if only money and time permitted. But I, I show so you, want show to. Show you the drums. Yeah. Oh, I so want. I mean, not only that just it sounds like such a chill time like you wouldn't even have to we wouldn't even have to go to like old trafford or not i'd be fine just going league two like league two and just watching that the whole time you know? yeah my or, local club yeah especially the oh the beer oh. <laughs> I've, I've been a i've been a very good boy this whole year okay i've yeah. lost i've lost i've lost 25 pounds this year and i've been i've nice. been good nice. but man just oh, i could i could use a good beer I could really after, use after COVID, we'll make it happen. You come out, oh, go to the pub. I, I will, I will down sure. a few pints, and then yeah. then we'll go to the football. You'll you'll love it, yeah. mate. Promise Oof. you. All right, hey guys, that's been the Crunchy Take podcast for this week. Be sure to check out uh, this episode whenever it, um, whenever it airs. I don't know. Thanks for checking out this episode so far. Sorry, it got a little political at the beginning. I, I can't avoid it. Really, <laughs> my guy is very insightful, and I grew up with him in Thailand, so it's kind of both parties colliding together. Um, yeah, be sure to look for different things going on. I do plan to have uh, several interesting guests coming up in the next uh, two or three weeks. So thank you for listening up until this point, Ben. It's been a privilege and we'll see you next time.